0: Paul Bishop, your host for this installment of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are bonus downloads where my co host Richard Prosher and I get to hang around the virtual Six Gun Justice podcast water cooler, talking with friends and fellow writers who are also fans of the Western genre. With me today is the million word a year man himself, James Reisner, author of over 350 books in many different genres under at least 19 different names. A stalwart in the Western genre, James has written multiple books in the Civil War Battle series, the Wagons West, and Wind River series, as well as the Trailsman, Longarm, Cody's Law, Abilene, Stagecoast Station, and the Last Ranger series, to name but a few. Hello, friend. How are you? I'm doing all right. And I'm probably holding you up from finishing another book. Is that right?
1: I don't think I'll finish this one today. I've been working this morning, and I'll work again. That's what I do. <laughs>
0: I know books are different lengths, but how long, on average, would it take you to do a long-arm novel once you had the plot in your head?
1: If I wasn't hurrying, it would take two and a half to three weeks to write a long-arm. If I had a tight deadline, I could do one in a week and a half. I think the record for the fastest I've ever written a book, I wrote a Trailsman novel in six days. Oh my goodness. I think that one was probably 44,000, 45,000 words, somewhere along in there. When I contracted for those Trailsman books, the contracts called for 60,000 words. So that's what I wrote the first two manuscripts. The editor then cut a lot out of them and I realized that they might say 60,000, but they actually wanted about 45 to 50,000. So that's what I gave them from then on.
0: You delivered exactly what they wanted and at least they didn't cut it down to 30,000. Exactly. With the longer books, for instance, the Wind River series, those would obviously take you longer, to write Because you've got 100,000 words, maybe?
1: Most of what I do these days is anywhere from 80 to 100,000 words. And yes, those take six or seven weeks, sometimes eight if I'm having trouble or have a lot of other things going on and can't work at it as much as I want to. But around six weeks is a good average on those.
0: When you start the year, you obviously have a number of contracts in place for a number of different series. Do you ever find yourself writing a plot for one series and realize it might be better for another series?
1: Yeah, that's happened before. A lot of times I've taken a plot that I originally intended for one series and used it for something else. That's not uncommon
0: at all. And is that because when it comes to plotting, you fly more by the seat of your pants, or do you outline?
1: I'm an outliner for the most part. Some of my outlines are long and really detailed, and some of them are like a page. But there have been a few books I've written without an outline. An editor called me once and asked me if I could write a book for him in a week. I said, I don't know. I can try. And I didn't outline that one. I just went into it, started writing with a vague notion of where I was going and kept at it. It took me 11 days. I didn't make it in a week.
0: That's still quite an accomplishment. I know writers who outline, and I know writers who fly by the seat of the pants, and I don't really think at the end there's a difference in quality
1: can't really tell. I couldn't look back at a book that I wrote 20 years ago and tell you how long the outline was or how detailed it was. One thing that I found is that when I don't have an outline, I tend to write myself into corners and it's harder to get out of them. Sometimes when I do a fairly detailed outline ahead of time, I pack too much stuff in there and the book starts to get too long once I start to actually write it. So I have to walk that line between those two extremes.
0: Have you found the process gets easier with time, or is it just as hard as it's always been? Because writing's hard work.
1: I think in some ways it's easier. I know what I'm doing more. I've always been an instinctive writer, and I would know what I was doing, but I couldn't necessarily tell you why. And over time, I've gotten to where I can see why I'm doing certain things better than I could in the past. But at the same time, I'm older and tireder, and I'm upwards of 30 million words into my career, and part of my brain's going, you don't have anything left to say. Of course <laughs> I do, thank goodness. But it's harder sometimes in that respect.
0: You also do a lot of reading. You review a lot of books. Do you find yourself reading for pleasure, or do you read as a writer, seeing how those books are put together?
1: I read for pleasure as much as possible. Sometimes things will jump out at me when I'm reading a book, and I will like, I know why he's done this, or I know where this book is going. It's gotten where it's hard to surprise me a lot of times in books because I can see how the plot's being set up as I'm reading it. But I've been an avid reader since I was six years old, and I don't think that will ever stop as, as long as I can still manage to read. So when I sit down to read, it's mostly for fun. Although as I'm reading, I find myself thinking about what I'm going to say about this book when I go to review it on my blog or something like that. That can be intrusive at times, too. I really like to just be caught up in the story of what I'm reading and enjoying it. And I am most of the time. Sometimes when I'm reading a book, I realize this is really well-paced. How is he doing this? The author is really making me keep turning the pages. And how did the author accomplish that? And I look for things like that. And there are mistakes that throw me out of the story where something hasn't been researched quite well enough, or the author has, as far as I can tell, basically just forgotten about something that was done earlier in the book. Those things can be a problem when you run across them. You're more likely to notice them because you look for that kind of thing in your own work. When I'm editing my books, I'm looking for things that I've forgotten to put in or that I took care of earlier and shouldn't be doing again and things like that. I've noticed that a lot of the really successful writers tend to have pretty fast-paced books, short chapters, lots of dialogue. I don't want to copy them. I feel like I have my own voice and my own way of doing things, but it doesn't hurt to keep those things in the back of your mind. I read a lot of older fiction myself. I read a lot from the pulps, and it really was a different era, and I have to put my mind back in that time period. I've never been much of a fan of holding writers from the past to contemporary standards as far as style or what they're writing about or anything, because they were writing in their time period. There was nothing else they could do. You can't have that kind of hindsight. Take a writer like Zane Gray, a very old-fashioned writer, very descriptive, very slow-paced in a lot of respects. Now, I still really enjoy reading a Zane Gray novel every now and then. But I have to be in the right mood for it. I have to be able to put myself in that frame of mind. And there are times when I'm writing, I feel like I'm trying to put myself in the frame of mind of writers in the past, uh, writing Westerns. I've read a ton of Western pulps, and sometimes I'll sit down, not really so much in what I normally write, but maybe I'll write a short story for an anthology or something, and I'll say, I'm going to write this like I was trying to sell it to a Western pulp in 1948, That's a way of keeping myself entertained as much as anything. But I like doing things like that. I very seldom deliberately send any kind of message in my books. Mostly they are just, they're for entertainment, they're good stories, something for people to read to pass the time when things are not going well for them. I love the idea that maybe somebody's struggling with life, and they sit down and read one of my books, that takes them away from all of their problems for a while. But you can't help but occasionally sneak something in, some bit of your own worldview. I think if you can't put something of yourself into the book, what's the point in it? I don't think I have a whole lot of weighty intellectual ideas to convey to my readers. But you know, I have a few things I think about and a few things I, I have certain feelings about. And I try to slip those in. Now and then, I definitely write for money. <laughs> that was my main motivation. I didn't want to have a career where I had to get up early in the morning and put on a tie every day. So being a writer seemed perfect.
0: Now you have to get up early in the morning and put on a typewriter. I'm not sure I see the difference.
1: <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> it, believe me, it's it's a difference.
0: I, I know. I'm just teasing with you.
1: <laughs> Robert E. Howard, one of my favorite writers in Texas, talked about how he would rather spend 16 hours straight at the typewriter trying to write his pulp stories rather than go into a job and work for wages somewhere. I think you have to have that mindset if you're going to be a prolific writer and write for a living. It's hard work. You have to stay at it. But there's some truth to that saying about find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. I don't think that's totally true because you do still have to work at it. But there's some truth to it.
0: There is a definite difference between doing something you love, even if it's hard, and doing something you really don't want to do. Yeah. When you are producing, you're writing a lot of books as contracts come in. Do you ever say no to a contract?
1: I'm trying to remember. (laughs) Yeah, there have been times when I was younger and hungry and I had more energy. I'd take anything that anybody wanted me to write, I'd find a way to do it. In recent years, I've gotten tireder and there have been times when I've had to say, no, I'd like to do this, but I really just don't have time.
0: And that's a good choice and a good position to be in to be able to say no. That's always nice.
1: I don't think I've ever turned one down because it was just something I didn't want to. Most of the jobs that I've been offered have been things that I've enjoyed and have really wanted to write. Sometimes there's only so much time in the day.
0: Have you found your writing style has changed over the years?
1: I have. It's changed some. In recent years, I've been going back over some of the books that I wrote 30, 35 years ago because they're going to be reprinted. And I look back over them and I'm going, my style really hasn't changed a whole lot in 35 years. <laughs> but when you, when I sit down and really go in paragraph by paragraph, line by line, it has changed some. My chapters used to be longer. My paragraphs used to be a little longer for the most part. But really, you know, I read a book that I wrote in 1990 and compared to what I am writing now, there's not much difference. Not enough difference that most people would look at it and think, hey, those books were written 30 years apart.
0: Technology certainly makes a difference. How has the ebook world impacted you?
1: I really like ebooks as a reader and a writer both. I love self-publishing. There's not as much money in it as there is writing for different publishers, but I loved the idea of just being in total control of the project from start to finish. Whether it did good or did bad, it was out there and it was all me. I wouldn't want to do that all the time, mind you. I grew up in the publishing world and in the, the regular business, and I want to still be published by traditional publishers too. I don't want to have to do all the work all the time. It was a nice difference there for a while. As a reader, I love ebooks. I love being able to control the font. My eyes aren't as good as they used to be. And there's so many older books that are available as ebooks now. You can buy a $2.99 ebook. If you were to find a copy of the original print edition of that book, it would cost a lot more than that if you could even find one. So I love the way ebooks have brought back so much older stuff into being available again.
0: And you've been able to bring a lot of your stuff back into print again, stuff that you've got the rights back to, as well as original projects like The Last Ranger is a series that you did directly for yourself.
1: Yeah. Livy and I republished all of our backstock that we had the rights to. It was good to get those books back out there. The original publishers were never going to do anything with them. It wasn't a matter of money so much as it was just wanting those books to be back out there where people could read them and enjoy them. And of course, whatever we made was fine too. You could write a book and it would be on the paperback rack for six weeks and then it was gone. They stripped the unsold copies, sent them back. And if it was never reprinted, whatever used copies were out there floating around in the world was all that existed on that book. I like being able to get those old ones back out there.
0: Do you feel a tie to the old pulp writers as I do?
1: I very much feel like I'm a pulp writer. When I started out writing for Mike Shane Mystery Magazine, my original editor, first guy who ever bought a story from me, was an old pulp editor, Sam Merwin Jr. And there were other writers who wrote for that magazine, who had written for the pulps. The first Westerns I did, the Stagecoach Station series, I wrote under the name Hank Mitchum. And the fellow who actually created that series and wrote the first few of them was a Western writer named D.B. Newton, who started in the Pulps and wrote for the Pulps. And I've always taken some pride and some pleasure in knowing that I worked on the same series as D.B. Newton, who's pretty much a forgotten writer today, but not forgotten by me. Yeah, I think it's a lot of the same mentality. I write about a million words a year, a little over a million words a year, And that's what you used to hear about the pulpsters doing, the guys who were million-word-a-year guys. Those were the the top-of-the-line people. I'm really proud and happy to be doing that kind of thing now. There's not that many opportunities to do things like that out there anymore, and I've been lucky to have the chances that I've had.
0: I, too, started my publication career with Mike Shane Mystery Magazine. It was one of the last remaining pulps, and I was actually so glad to have had my first stories accepted there because I did feel there was a connection to all of the books and the writers that I loved from the past. I don't think it maybe makes a difference to a lot of people, but there are those of us like you and me, and I know others, that tie is important because we feel the history of what we do and a connection to it.
1: Yeah. I've been able to feel the the long line coming down through all those decades from all those writers, all the way back to the dime novel days. I can identify with those guys.
0: With 35 million words during the course of your career, is there something left that you still want to write that you haven't written yet?
1: I have three outlines for hard-boiled crime novels on my computer that I haven't gotten around to doing yet. I've written books of that type before, but I haven't written these particular books. I can't think of any particular genre that I would like to write that I haven't done at all. There are others that I'd like to do more in. I'd like to write more science fiction. I've never written much horror. You know, there's plenty of things out there still that I want to do, yeah. A lot of times I say, written 35 million words, I don't have anything left to say. I'm tired and I'm done. No, I don't think so. Not really. If I ever tried to quit, I probably wouldn't last very long. I remember several years ago when Craig Ferguson was still on the air. He used to have Lawrence Block on. And Lawrence Block came on there one night and said, I think I've written my last novel. I'm old enough now, and I think I've written my last one. And how many novels has he published since then? He's the guy who's embraced the ebook revolution himself and has self-published his books that's a real role model there. Somebody who may talk about wanting to quit, but he can't do it. He's got another book. He's got an idea in his head. He's got to get it out there. I've said that on my tombstone, although I don't actually intend to have a tombstone since I plan on being cremated, but I used to say they need to put on my tombstone. He needed 10 more pages.
0: Well, James, thank you for being with us today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Good luck with your current projects, and we will see you in the pulps. Take care, friend.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the Six-Gun Justice website at sixgunjustice.com for information on prior Six-Gun Justice conversations. Six-Gun Justice speed listens and full-length episodes of the Six-Gun Justice podcast, along with regularly updated book reviews, articles, and interviews covering all aspects of the Western genre. Until next time, be kind to others, be kind to yourself, and keep your masks up. Adios. We're out of here. Let's ride.